Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Today's episode is sponsored by Estet. Estet Managed Services lowers client e-discovery spend, improving security and control over data. Estet makes your practice more powerful and profitable. See more at e-stet.com. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest is a virtual law firm legal pioneer, having been in the space for more than 10 years. Her specialty is legal process management and high-volume workflows for financial services companies. A proponent of alternative legal fees and developing innovative legal solutions, the managing partner of SRD Legal Group, Susie Scanlon Rabinowitz. Welcome to Left Foot. Thank you, Nicole. I am absolutely delighted to be here with you and have an opportunity to speak with your impressive audience. Great to have you as a guest on our program, Susie. Let's head into the questions. What personal strengths or habits have allowed you to be successful in developing business, developing your practice, developing your firm? One of my personal strengths is being able to leverage the fact that I have a mission-driven business. I get very passionate about creating jobs and new opportunities for lawyers to join my firm. So generating revenue and bringing new clients to the firm allows me to hire more people, which I find to be very exciting, rewarding, and meaningful. I think that it might be helpful to share with you who I work with. I work with lawyers who really want more flexibility in their schedule. I have women and men, believe it or not, who are the primary caretakers for their children and they want to work at a really high level, but they need the flexibility to manage their lives. And so I have one attorney who works bus stop hours. He starts his day when the bus rolls out in the morning and works until the bus returns. Once his kids come home from school, that is a priority. And then when they're done with their homework and off to bed, he's able to check back in and engage with clients and take care of any matters that are a priority. The other group of lawyers at my firm are lawyers who are at the senior arc of their career who really have achieved the brass ring either as a partner or as a GC and have decided that they want to work more flexibly. It's so much fun to work with lawyers who genuinely appreciate the freedom of working from a home office. Great idea to talk about the folks that you work with. Those examples are something we can all relate to. How did you end up in this space? Was it something you've always wanted to do? Was it an area where you just felt there was huge growth opportunities? What was the thing that pushed you to say, I want to start a virtual law firm? I did not set out to start my own firm. I'm really an accidental entrepreneur. When I was in law school, I did not set out to start my own firm. I thought that I would go to a big firm, which I did and I loved, and I would become a partner there. But life got in the way. And it wasn't too far down the road when I realized that my personal goals and desire to have a family were not consistent with my professional goals, and I couldn't make it all work. So I completely exited the practice of law and did so with some sadness and hesitation. But I did that, and I had two kids, my two boys, who I absolutely adore. And at some point when they were old enough to be in school, I was basically bored out of my mind. I started doing volunteer work, which I really enjoyed. But when my 
my volunteer work grew to the point of more than 30 hours a week, I understood that I was starving to use my mind and really hungry to work. I was fortunate enough to find someone in in my community who in 2002 had launched a virtual law firm. And I started working for the firm and it was a terrific experience. And it was through that experience that ultimately I identified an opportunity to do something a little different, to start a woman-owned virtual law firm and to be certified as such. I have a lot of clients in the financial services space who have real aspirations or in some cases mandates to work with women-owned businesses. And so it has been very rewarding to work with companies who have that focus. Because of course they have a certain requirement or need to be able to bid on business where they can say and, and show that they work with women-owned businesses. What a significant undertaking to get back into the workforce and then to say, okay, now I'm going to start a business and all that goes with that. You know, Along those lines, of course, you need to get clients. As you mentioned earlier, you enjoy the fact that the acquisition of new business allows you to hire more people. Do you use a specific strategy to grow your business? So my business is really based on relationships and it is the relationships I have with lawyers who I've worked with over the years. And what I've found is that lawyers don't always stay in the same job for the duration of their career. In fact, it's quite common that they move. And so one of my strategies, which may be surprising, is that LinkedIn informs me when people in my network that I know have left job A to move over to job B. And there have been several different scenarios where I've reached out to those individuals to say, hey, I didn't know you left. Congratulations. I would love to continue working with you if there's an opportunity. And that has definitely been part of my growth strategy is maintaining relationships that that are genuine. I am very fortunate to work with really good people. I really like all of my clients across the board. And I think that if I didn't like a client, the relationship probably wouldn't work. And so it would come to a natural end. So the fact that I have these relationships with people who I genuinely care about, and I'm able to provide them with an innovative solution to a traditional problem has allowed me to build my business over the years. That idea of relationships and maintaining them both through social media, through interactions, whether that's at conferences or when there is an opportunity to do face-to-face is so important. I had an associate from a major law firm. We were doing a group interview this morning, and one of the things that that associate highlighted was the fact that they watched those LinkedIn people on the move type of announcements because it really is an opportunity to congratulate that person and learn more, frankly, to remind them that you're there through your congratulations. You know, relationship and staying in touch can take a lot of forms. Have you been able to either put an amount of frequency or some kind of regular communication together that really does help you make sure you can plan for the future? For example, in the other business I'm involved in, I do a monthly communication about our success in the prior month. And it really is to stimulate ideas with our clients. And then I customize notes to many of the people in our network. What are the ways that you can plan for? What is that next period, whether it be the next month's business or the next quarter's business? I think that a lot of my growth has been organic. I have not sat down with an Excel spreadsheet with projections. I have been perhaps more responsive to what my clients' needs 
are and anticipating their needs and then speaking with them and meeting with them. And one thing I love to do is I love to dine. So I love to dine with my clients and have lunch with them. But to stay ahead of what is happening that might impact them. So an example of that is I became very interested in blockchain technology because I do a lot of work with the investment banks and financial services firms and understand that they're making investments in blockchain technology. And what does that mean for my practice? What are their needs going to be? And I'm not a blockchain lawyer. So I decided I would take a class in blockchain technology and do what I could to understand the issues and smart contracts and things that we're talking about that may not be on the immediate horizon, but are definitely in progress. People are investing in them and thinking about them. That is one way that I'm anticipating client needs and planning for future growth. If I can continue to be relevant and have a good understanding of market practices, I think that will help with my overall growth strategy. Is there a plan to communicate that as an area of focus to current clients or is that through more casual conversation, learning about something, especially something that's newer on the horizon and then being able to go out and educate others, whether that be clients, you know, from the legal perspective or other lawyers, you know, it's a great way to build your business and establish a reputation in a particular space. Any any plans to do something formal or is that something that you will take out to clients on a case-by-case basis, of course, to your earlier point based on their needs? In some cases, I have provided my clients with a formal in-person presentation on blockchain and smart contracts and making sure that they understand the basics. And also, I had this wonderful professor who taught me the class. So I, I actually invited the professor who's a blockchain consultant to the meeting so that if there were questions that were outside of the scope of what I learned during that course, that I had somebody with expertise who would be able to address those issues. And now a word from our episode sponsor. For 10 years, Eastead has helped clients save money by streamlining e-discovery and document review processes. See why AM100 firms, Fortune 500 companies, and boutique firms love Eastet's simple pricing and customer service-centered approach on matters from IP to class actions to internal investigations. See more at e-stet.com. Do you have a success story where you were either surprised that you were able to acquire a new client or possibly surprised about the way you acquired a new client? Sure. I think that it is always interesting to try to predict where new business is going to come from. And I have a fairly recent success story. It's actually something that I'm working on right now. My firm manages large volume workflows for for different clients and a counterparty who I do not work with was negotiating with one of my lawyers. And this lawyer was the GC of a prominent investment firm. And he wanted to understand, who was he talking to? Who is this person from this law firm he has not heard of? So he went to the signature block, checked out the red line. Actually, it was one of his colleagues that was doing the negotiation. He did some research and then he contacted me and he said, I'm really interested in talking to you. He said, one, 
if you're good enough to represent the, the company that my firm was representing, we're interested. Two, he's like, why don't I know about you? If other people are working with your firm and you're able to manage these workflows, why did I not know about you? An acknowledgement that our work and approach was really different. And it was followed by an invitation for me to meet him and pitch him. I ordinarily don't get invitations to pitch new clients. I'm the one who's out there asking if people will meet with me to hear about the types of services that SRD provides. It was an unusual opportunity and I have a feeling we're going to be working together, which is very exciting. And in my mind, a great success story when you're representing a client and the counterparty thinks so much of you that they want to, after that representation, hire you themselves. It's interesting that idea that the person on the counter end of that or the other side of that opportunity saw the value in in the work that you were doing and really did take that extra step. But also the fact that they called you, I think is fantastic. We do so many communications to grow our business. When someone basically is being proactive with you, it really is a success story. That is a great one. Thank you. Susie, any experiences you can share that were less than successful? Opportunities that our listeners can learn from where something didn't go your way and and now you look back and probably whenever was going to happen and and not the best use of time. Anything you'd like to share along those lines? So it's interesting, Nicole, that you just asked if there was anything that wasn't a good use of time. I have found that sometimes I could try to win business and have an opportunity to make a formal presentation, and I don't I don't always win the business. I never feel like it's a waste of time. I feel like you need to do a lot of that work and plant a lot of seeds for something to grow and develop. If I didn't win the business on one occasion, statistically... What it means is I am that much closer to finding my next client and that there are percentages and you don't win all of the time. And I've never felt bad. I've never felt bad about meeting a prospective client or talking to a lawyer about joining my firm. I always feel like those conversations are exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. There are definitely lessons learned when you don't win the business. And I will share that one of the challenges of being the principal of a woman-owned virtual law firm is a question, are we going to get the quality of lawyer we are expecting? And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is trying to convince potential clients or companies who don't know me and haven't worked with me before that they are going to get an excellent deliverable and really good quality work, even though they're paying less money because it's a virtual platform and we have just very low overhead, they're not going to compromise on quality. And I think that is, I don't want to say it's an uphill battle, I'll just say it's a challenge. And I do think what is interesting is that a lot of my more sophisticated clients or the more sophisticated players in the space are comfortable with the idea that there are these alternative legal models that really are a very strong option and not just, of course, my law firm, but there are many other alternative legal models that are developing because there's an opportunity right now in the marketplace to deliver legal services a little bit differently. I absolutely agree. The market changes that are occurring have presented an opportunity for clients to look at alternatives, to evaluate alternatives, to ask 
how firms they're working with or other legal services providers are adding efficiency into their business through technology, through tools that are available that can make their work quicker and quality will not suffer. I understand the challenge you have because of course, the model is newer. The model of outsourcing legal services to a firm that ebbs and flows in its staff through um, opportunities is newer. I'm a huge believer in interim types of services. And I think the market, I have to agree with you, is becoming more sophisticated. Having worked in that space a bit, Susie, I find that it is the sophisticated clients that can see around that and the ones that might struggle with it because they're not used to looking at alternatives. I mentioned in your introduction that you are a proponent of alternative legal models. And I'm assuming that also includes alternative fee arrangements. Can you chat a little bit about how you're addressing the trend in the market to go to alternative fees and to alternative models, what your approach is, what your firm's differentiator is around fees, around agreements that you're willing to establish with clients? Absolutely, Nicole. Alternative legal fees are very important, and they're not only important to my business model, they're an essential part of my growth strategy, and I'll explain why. The traditional model of the billable hour is very difficult when you're trying to get to know your client. Part of my growth strategy is to really understand my client's needs and to be a resource, whether it's a legal resource or there are other areas where I can be helpful. If I'm charging my client on an hourly basis and I pick up the phone and I want to chat with them and I want to know what's going on at work and I want to know why they were there until 11 o'clock the night before and I'm charging them and they have to pay to have that conversation, that just does not work. That, in my mind, is not a good way for me to build relationships with my clients. So they know that when I'm talking to them about matters that are not part of my representation, I'm not getting paid. And I also genuinely care. I'm on the phone or I'm meeting with them. I want to know that information. I want to really understand their business. I want to understand their pain points. And I want to be able to provide solutions. And in my experience, an alternative fee arrangement facilitates that type of relationship building. And so whenever I can, I charge a flat fee or I will work with a cap. And I really have to understand the workflow and the volume in order to be able to do that properly. I don't want to suggest that that is easy. But because of the structure at my firm, I have more flexibility in creating those alternative fee models. And it's been a a winning solution for my clients. We hear about alternative fee arrangements and we hear about that desire to be able to connect with clients. And I do think if you have a good relationship with your client, you're able to say, this is an exception, something we weren't planning for. And most clients understand. They're basically saying, you're right, that is something that we weren't planning for. So we are willing to talk about additional fees or or some kind of change type of arrangement. I think that is very necessary in today's market. And it's really interesting that you raise that, Nicole, because my experience has been exactly that. My clients are not out to game me. They just want a predictable legal budget. They want to know that every month they're going to spend X dollars to cover this volume or scope of work. And 
if something should change, they're not interested in seeing me or my firm hurt in any way. We will then be able to talk about it. And it doesn't come up often, but there are situations where that does happen. And I have to say, I am so encouraged by the reaction that I get from my clients that they don't want to harm me. The alternative fee isn't an opportunity for one party to game another. Instead, it's just assessing value to the work and the deliverable in a different way. We're hearing it's all about the fees and it's really not. It's about good work and it is about budgeting. You know, that idea that was definitely conveyed on my podcast through two different folks that I interviewed. They said we can build skyscrapers with a budget. We can basically perform legal services with some budget. Doesn't mean there's not going to be overruns and it doesn't mean that we might be off in a particular area here and there. But as long as we can look at prior experience and come up with estimates based on the same client with a matter that's of similar complexity or with a similar client matter of similar complexity. Our next question, Susie, deals with innovation. There is a lot of legal tech going on, a lot of legal tech entering the market to assist with efficiency. Technology has changed our lives in so many ways, but there's other innovation that is out in the market. And I would suggest that even virtual law firms are part of that. In your opinion, whether it's related to growing your business, running your practice, your practice itself, what have you seen in the market that you feel is truly innovative in the legal services, legal environment? I really am very interested in artificial intelligence and being able to leverage some software platform to allow my clients to review large volumes of agreements in a different way. I think that this technology has not been perfected. I think one of the challenges is matching the technology with lawyers who can really use it and achieve the right result and outcome. I see this as a big area of opportunity in the future. I also see an opportunity for law firms and the software companies who are really developing these innovative solutions to partner to provide our clients who are really shared clients with a higher level solution. Right now, I see that some of the firms are exploring this and there are the software companies that have the technology, but it may be that it is a coming together of the various players. And I actually think ultimately what's going to happen is this is going to be driven by the clients themselves, that they are going to be the ones who say, I really like working with this law firm. I really want this law firm to work with this artificial intelligence solution to manage our workflow. And I definitely see that on the horizon in the near term. Absolutely agree. I was at Legal Tech. I went to a presentation where the operations leader from a major tech company was on the panel with a technology company with their law firm. So the the legal operations person from this tech company, a tech firm, and their law firm. And they together, all three of them, have been working with this technology solution. And it was driven by the client. The client said, we need a better way to manage how we do business in this particular area. And they said, we want to use this technology and they got their law firm to use it. And the law firm was right up there saying, this is one of the better things they've done to improve efficiency. But I have to say the artificial intelligence chat is is definitely strong out there in the legal space. And do you have an opinion about how, besides the clients driving it, you know, where you see it really being used? You mentioned, you know, going through large volumes of documents, you know, is that still e-discovery or is there something more specific about artificial intelligence that you think will really be a game changer? 
So I think this is absolutely being used outside of e-discovery right now for companies that are managing certain regulatory requirements and deadlines and really need to understand their agreements. Artificial intelligence, I think, is no longer something that is just part of e-discovery, but I think there's a much broader application. I've seen some of my clients using it in a very sophisticated way to manage large volume of contracts. Susie, many of our listeners are millennial, mobile, and global. We have many new partners that tune in. They're basically tuning in because they know they have business development responsibilities either today or that will be coming in the future. What advice should you give them as they start that part of their legal journey? So I think I have a lot of advice, maybe more than you want, but I'll give you some of the highlights. I think it's always good to find good people. So when I'm talking to millennials, I tell them, who are you spending time with? Find good people. Spend your time with good people. Good things will happen. The other thing that I tell my millennial friends, I really try to share with them the benefits of LinkedIn. I will tell them, for example, you know how you brush your teeth every day in the morning uh, when you wake up and before you go to bed at night? Think about LinkedIn that way. Every day before you go to bed, Think about who you met that day. Send them a LinkedIn invitation and expand your network because I find that sometimes I'm using millennials as as an example, but they don't understand where they're going to be in 10 years from today or 15 years from today. And some of the people they meet along the way may be really good for them to maintain in their network. And so I suggest that they really consider LinkedIn as part of their daily diet. I also like to share with millennials that it's okay if you don't know everything. There's no shame in not knowing everything, and there's no shame in not being good at everything. The beauty of that is you can find people to collaborate with who have skills that you don't have. Personally, have found I work with some great lawyers who have fantastic skills, and I'm very proud to collaborate and associate with them. The other thing I, I encourage people to do who are just embarking upon the profession is to find a mentor, find a support network educational programs are really invaluable. And there are a lot of them out there, but you have to look for them and you have to ask. And I think that, again, I I encourage people to be proactive and seek support networks because I think it's really helpful. And again, an acknowledgement that when you're starting out, you don't have all the answers and that's okay. The other thing that I encourage millennials to do or strategy, if you will, is find what you're passionate about. And I think that authenticity is a very big part of all of this. I would share my advice is be authentic, find your passion, engage good people in areas where you really enjoy spending your time. For me personally, my pastime, my extracurricular activities are volunteering and fundraising. I have found over the years certain organizations that are doing fantastic work in this world. I have found that a lot of my clients have similar values and interests. For me, it is just the most exciting thing in the world to engage some of my clients with some of the organizations that I feel like are making an impact and a difference in the world. Fantastic. And I think that passion obviously comes through in your interactions with them. We had a guest say that they felt that the best avenue for them to grow their business was to be who they are at work everywhere they are in their life. And let me explain that. They said that they felt that people who you meet socially, people who are in your community, however you're acting with your 
kids on the sideline, in your place of worship, in your community as a volunteer, that that translates. They just, they assume since you are quote unquote, good mom, good community member, actively involved, engaging, willing to speak up, has ideas, that that's actually how you do your business. And I thought that was really interesting that we basically make assumptions. I've met you. I've met you in a social setting. You're credible. You seem to be a caring person, a direct person, a accomplished person, a get things done kind of person. And that will translate into how you do your work at your organization, which I thought was really interesting. I would completely agree with that statement and do think that has absolutely been consistent with my personal experience. I'm not sure if that was ever part of my strategy. It was just choices that I made about how I wanted to live my life. As it turns out, it's been very positive in connection with my business as well. I'm a huge believer in LinkedIn. Huge. I do check it once a day. I check it each morning, seven days a week. Even if I'm on vacation, I spend a few minutes and I go do that because I want to keep pace with it. I was listening to something today while I was getting a little workout in. The woman who I was listening to talked about ghosting. And ghosting is when you're on these social media platforms and you're not participating and you're not responding when people directly reach out to you. So I'll say, oh, I read your article, found it very interesting, especially this particular point. And instead of the person saying, thank you, I appreciate the recognition, they say nothing. And it is, and it's not like you're doing it for that, but there's no give and take. They're just kind of in the background. It's called ghosting. I find that to be probably not the best way to use social media <laughs> because you do have to participate. I, I think that's right. And I think Social media is a tough medium for us. This goes back to what you were asking me in connection with advice for millennials. I think it's much more comfortable for millennials. They've grown up with this. And for us, we're all trying to figure it out. What do we do with this? How do we use this? If we were going to really be artful and intentional about our social media strategy and plan, I think we would all have a social media director, just like a lot of lawyers have an assistant. I think they need an assistant and maybe someone who's in charge of social media for them. It's interesting what you were saying about ghosting. I think sometimes people just don't know how to respond or, or are not able to manage that part of the day and to be really effective on social media. It's also hard to have that day job and be meeting with your clients and getting the work done and sticking to your growth and strategy plan. So I don't want to make excuses for people. And I think that if you're in the game, you need to be responsive. But I can't help but think that we have not all been properly trained in the area of social media etiquette, which which is probably the topic of another podcast. I absolutely agree. Enjoyable interview. You can tell that you're very energetic about what you do, Susie. What do you enjoy most about your work? Either the actual work with clients, your firm, leadership responsibilities. What's most enjoyable for you? I think I really enjoy working with my clients and I get a real thrill when the lawyers who I'm working with are pleased with their work, the quality of the work and the lifestyle that they have. And it's just such a win-win. There's a double bottom line when you're talking about business model that is able to provide meaningful high-level work to lawyers who have a need to work on a flexible basis and having that be a strong solution for clients who value it and appreciate it. And that's really 
really exciting for me. And I think it's what gets me up in the morning. It's what I think about at night. I really enjoy working with my clients and the collaboration that exists between the lawyers at my firm. Fantastic. Susie, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with our listeners. Any last points you'd like to share before we say goodbye? Well, I just appreciate your time. I appreciate your audience. I know who your audience members are. And so if you're at the end of this podcast, it means you listen. So thank you so much for your time. And I want to wish you the best of luck in your career. Susie, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12-session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.